Welcome to The Virtual Shift, a show looking at the seismic changes happening in healthcare with virtual care at the epicenter. Join me and my guests as we look at key cultural and policy shifts impacting how providers, payers, and patients connect, as well as how care is being reimagined both for today and the future. Hello, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Tom Foley. You can learn more about this show by visiting the program on healthcarenowradio.com, and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, at FoleyTom and the hashtag, The Virtual Shift. We have a great guest on today, Don Antonucci. He is the president and CEO of Providence Health Plan. Don, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Don, uh, the reason why I have you on the program, you are uh, an outspoken person on, at least on LinkedIn, as I see you, uh, on very um creative thinking relative to how do we move to value, and you're encouraging the market to move in that direction. So I want to get into uh, that conversation during this uh, program. I'm sure my listeners will be very appreciative of this uh, dialogue. So so first, tell us about um, uh, Providence Health Plan and yourself. Thanks, Tom. Providence Health Plan is a health plan that's been around for about 39 years, and it's uh, been part of Providence, which is a 165-year-old-plus primarily delivery system. And, you know, it's been primarily based in Oregon. And so we're now in the process of expanding into some of the other states, especially aligned with where Providence, the delivery system is. We're about 650,000 members, 2.3 billion in revenue, and we serve every single line of business uh, for the health plan. I've been here two years, and uh, I'll just share part of what really drew me to Providence is one, you know, working for a a mission-driven nonprofit organization like Providence is important. We have a promise that we share with Providence to know, care for, ease the way of our members, our patients, our providers. So that was really important. But from a just an opportunity perspective, I know we're going to get into this, really being able to integrate in a different way with doctors, with delivery systems in a way that's good for members and patients was a huge draw for me. And so being here now coming up on two years, there's a lot of opportunity ahead. We've done some good things, but more to come. Awesome. So you often do talk about this move from fee-for-service to value. As a matter of fact, on a, on a post you have on LinkedIn today, and I do encourage our listeners to, to follow you, you say, I'm optimistic about how models like virtual care, vir- virtual-based care and whole-person care, very interesting, as, as well as innovative technology can help solve issues such as healthcare workers, burnout, and the cost of care. Can you talk a little bit more about what, you, uh, what, you're, what you're thinking there? Yeah. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, we may have a, a terminology problem inside of healthcare sometimes because I'll use what? terms. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. But go ahead. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, you use the term value-based care. I use that quite a bit. And you hear a lot of dialogue. Is it the right term or is it not? And I, and whole person care, same thing. And I think the key is for us in the industry, but for all is to explain these things and what we mean, like we would to a mother, brother, father, sister, who's maybe not in the industry. So, uh, you know, what, what I mean by that is there's a, first of all, fee for service care, which has been the primary way of healthcare here is really paying on volume. So you're paying, you know, doctors are getting paid and providers are getting paid in every service that they do. So the incentive, whether it's direct or indirect, is to, hey, there's a nail. 
I've got a hammer, let's go. This is what I've got to do. Let's provide that service. Whereas value-based care is less about volume and it's more about value. And how do you go from volume to value? And that is really much more about when we say things like whole person care, having the time to really understand, Tom, what you know, what's your health history? What are you focused on? What are you concerned about? And then providing the, the most affordable quality uh, solutions that are going to make sense for you or your family. That's what the promise is of value-based care. The other thing I'd say too, yeah, technology is really important to, to this whole equation as well. We have to have information that connects with you know, there's too much disjointed uh, information today. So how do we have that comprehensive view of health records, et cetera? But I'll also, you know, and maybe we get into this a little bit too, I'm also saying that value-based care is not a silver bullet solution either. It is, I believe, directionally the right place to go, but there's also some connotation that comes with value-based care when people are asked about it. There was recently a study done that even shared you know, when people think of value-based care, their first reaction without a definition, not being in the industry, is, is that cheap care? You know, am I going to get what I need when I need it? And so I think we've got to start to talk about very specific components of what value-based care is meant to be and also realize that it's not a silver bullet solution. And then maybe even start to change some of the terminology. I mean, there's been, you know, talk about, is it quality first care? Or is it patient first care? But something that's a bit more easy for folks to digest with examples. Yeah, I, I often use that terminology of volume to value uh, in a lot of my uh, discussions. And that's really the key. I think that the, the challenge is, uh, and I'd love your opinion, is that I'm not sure providers know how to get to value. They see it, they want to do it, but they're in this daily hamster wheel, on this daily hamster wheel of running faster and seeing more patients and spending less time and, and not having the the the, the skills, uh, that's not the right word, not having the, uh, the time to ultimately put a strategy together that moves them towards a value-based care. Because I think that sometimes they can, there's things that you could do today that doesn't necessarily mean you have to take on a risk-oriented contract, right? Uh, we I talk a lot on my program about remote patient monitoring, chronic care management, two value-based care programs. But if you implement them, you can actually see how you can get the value. Yeah. Right. And and to me that so that's the really I think the challenge here is demonstrating the pathway to value. That's and, right. And the, any any additional thoughts there? Well, I, I think you've nailed it. And I know we've talked about this in the industry quite a bit. And the, the good news is the dialogue is picking more and more up on what the challenge are challenges are to moving over to value-based care or more to towards value-based care. It really is. You've got your foot in one kayak and another foot in another kayak. And how do you make that shift? And I think there is a part of what we need to start to do is start to recognize what are the, the steps that need to be taken? What are the challenges that are going to come up in moving to those models? Because you can't, in many cases, you can't flip that switch overnight and say, hey, I'm going to take this uh, delivery system or this doctor's office and just totally go over to value-based care because it's just not set up that way. So I think the first step is just kind of you know, defining reality, recognizing it, and then starting to take those strategic steps. You mentioned, you know, taking on risk. That's part of it. 
to take on risk if you're a provider and you haven't done that before, you're really going to need a whole different level of population health information about yeah. who am I managing, what are their conditions, have they had this, you know, this type of preventive care, and you're also going to have the time and capacity and tools to be able to take care of a population differently. You know, one of the examples I, I've given is I had a couple months ago uh, my doctor visit with my primary care physician, and much of their model in that office is still fee for service. So I just asked, you know, just, you know, once he understood where I worked and what I did, you know, what's your daily, you know, patient volume? He sees anywhere from 18 to 20 patients a day. And so it's quite a bit. And he also talked about it's really hard, even on his day off, you've got to enter information and do some of the administrative pieces. And part of it, they have to see that many patients to make that business work. One of the good news items, though, and this kind of gets into, I, I think, one of those components of value-based care was he also talked about in the first now for two months that he's been working with it in the first 10 minutes of sitting down with a patient, he's getting so much relief because now natural language processing is helping him just have a dialogue and the my chart record is populated with key information that otherwise he would have had to do. And I asked him how much time that saved him. He's like, it's a game changer. It's like an hour a day. Like, so it's an wow. hour back for his evening. It's an hour back for him to do something else. Maybe, you know, take a little time, you know, get some exercise, go for a walk or get some sleep. And so when I think about things like provider burnout, how do you, you know, I talked about our promise. How do you know, care for, and ease the way of our members, our patients? Well, part of that is also with value-based care. How do we do that for our own providers and make sure that they're able to operate in a way that makes sense for them and makes sense therefore for the patient. No, I, I'm with you. And you know, and under value or under volume, we're stuck in this model of the average Medicare patient with five chronic conditions sees nine different doctors. They're only in front of their doctor 15 hours in a given year. The gap in care, in my opinion, is what happens in the other 8,745 hours. I have nine, and so in, in volume, the only, well, I, I know doctors think differently, but I'm going to blow it out of proportion. And the the only thing the doctor is thinking about is when I see that patient in the next three months per my request to have another scheduled appointment or another six months, right? There's a lot that happens there. So patient engagement uh, is is critical. And, and so to get to value, and, and you said it earlier, you need a lot of data. Yeah. But you, uh, but I'm a doctor. I, I don't have time to look at this data on a day-to-day -day basis, right? I still have a lot of people, that, a lot of patients that I want to provide value to, right? Yeah. But I can't do it. But so you need an arm, you need an army, right, to do that. But so the question is, is that what what do you think we could do differently in the short term relative to how we do a better job? Because the EHR is not the end-all, be-all relative to where the data is. How can we do a better job in Patient engagement in that uh, time that they're away from the office, that's really where wellness is achieved. Yeah. Care is delivered in the office, wellness is achieved at home, yeah. right? And and how do we correlate the the home activity with the office activity and, and, and push that patient into, not push, but you understand what I'm saying, move that patient into this value mindset? Yeah, I think part of this is actually, and I'd love your reaction to this, is rolling up our sleeves 
and really getting under the hood of what is that provider's day look like in their experience? What's the patient experience coming out of that? And I'm talking about everything, even the small stuff. Like when you go into the doctor's office and you're filling out a form and it's asking you, you know, do you have the food that you need? Do, or do you, how many drinks per week do you have of, you know, of alcohol? It, 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 when it's those things, and then how do they get populated and then surfaced in, in a way to that provider to make their job easier? What's the support staff around that office? I really think it's getting under the hood and doing that. And I also, and, and I think it's being real about that. And I kind of think about some of these um, technology companies, the big tech that I know has has really made some advances and has tried to get into healthcare. And it's more complicated, say, than retail and you know banking and, and other things. There's a lot of complications because of how healthcare is set up. And I think there's a realization of that. But I also think there's some great tools and technology that actually has been around for some time and has only gotten better that makes that easier uh, to be able to surface and approach. There's There's ways to do that. But I think there's also the reality of, of how many different payers or how many different systems and point solutions is that provider experiencing? How many is that? How many are being thrown at that member or that patient? And so I think we've got to have a realistic look. And we use terms like what's the patient journey or the member journey? What's the, what's the provider journey you know, through a day? I think that's where it's going to make a real difference for us. And we have to get under that hood. And then I started thinking about this concept, too, about like, you know, if you think about Amazon and, and how they use, uh, you know, Prime and, and the app and again, totally different context. But, you know, I think that consumer centric mindset, I, I don't know if they were thinking about, well, if I provide this app and if I, you know, if we use this technology over here, we're going to get to consumer centric purchasing. I think they're what's the easiest, best way, most convenient, affordable choice that makes it easier for somebody to go ahead and do that. I think we got to apply that in healthcare. It's harder, but I think we got to do that. I, I am with you 100%. And I'm translating all that into experience. And experience in from the consumer's perspective, if I have five different doctors, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, nine different doctors in my earlier example, I'm not going to nine different patient portals. Sorry. And I'm not going to have nine different telehealth apps on my phone, sorry. And those nine different doctors need a way to share information so that, you know, if you're the primary and I have a, a team of specialists, you know, uh, healthcare is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. So, and, and from a payer's perspective, uh, a health plan perspective, we need to know, to your point, about the whole person, not just about the encounter, not just about you know, hopefully we can start recording uh, vitals and, and, and they can tell us a little bit more about their home setting and the social determinants of health, right? And understanding, did they take their meds today or not take their meds? Did they eat, diet, exercise, all that stuff? That's the, that's the whole person. But I, that's why I was going earlier with the question on the data, because I, don't, I think if we were now, uh, the ONC, is, uh, the CMS is doing uh, some stuff on the, the QHANs, and, and that's all good stuff. But I don't think it's enough because we're still trying to share data from an EHR perspective, not data from a whole person perspective. And I think that is ultimately going to be the, the turning point, the tipping point of how we do a better job in delivering value to a patient. That's right. 
Yeah, I, I, I love where you're going with this. I mean, if you even take, we've got some of the right things happening in different parts of healthcare. So if you take Medicare Advantage as an example of really value-based care and the Centers for Medicare, Medicare and Medicaid Services has really done a lot to uh, promote those types of models. But if you take Medicare Advantage you, and, and then you take what I kind of mentioned about understanding the whole person and what you're talking about or data intake, things with Medicare Advantage that makes it interesting is you've got things like dental benefits that's included with it. Sometimes you got transportation benefits, you've got food benefits. And when you think about if you know somebody is struggling with you know food insecurity or hey, did you have trouble getting to the doctor's office or do you need to have a different type of uh, appointment time because you need to schedule that transportation? If we can connect those dots, for the whole person, there's benefits that link directly to that. And I think today some of those exist. I don't know that they're utilized in the way that they could be, but I think starting to connect those things together for folks is going to be the important, you know, shift. Yeah. And, you know, I had a gentleman uh, on uh, an earlier uh, discussion on on the program, Michael Grace. Uh, He uh, focuses a lot on uh, urban USA, and he, he tells us about a patient really does want to change. However, and you know, you talk about access and and uh, value, and that person, but that person can only go to the neighborhood deli, and the neighborhood deli only has sixty six flavors of beer, uh, potato chips and pretzels, but they don't have apples and oranges, tomatoes and lettuce, and and healthy foods. So, so to your point about you know access to transportation access to uh, a different dietary experience uh, than uh, than what they could get by walking down to the corner deli. Uh, to me, that is, and, that, and again, that all happens in the 8,745 hours they're not in front of the doctor, mm-hmm. right? So to me, if we're going to change healthcare, if we're going to move to value and we're and and, the, and everybody's going to win in that model as a as a community because it is a community of care change the way in which we think about that structure it's a hard it's a hard spin i i'm not i'm not discounting the issue but i think that that's really where uh, a lot of the change has to come your your thoughts on that yeah i think you're hitting it i mean the other thing we haven't talked about yet is is the components of like health equity so you know, health equity is really important. Value-based care can provide more equitable care. Are you capturing race, ethnicity, language? You know, we've taken some small steps too in our provider directory. We make sure that people can look up and see those components, race, ethnicity, language of their own provider, because we know that therefore there's more likely to be that better connection. How do we think about, you know, community-based organizations? So we're talking about food insecurity. So it's great if you got a food benefit, but you know, as a health plan, there's certain things that we can do, but we also have started to think about, all right, with our community partners that are out there, let's start to think about who we support in what ways. So we've got a relationship with the Oregon Food Bank, where awesome. we're, we do volunteer work, we provide, you know, funds and all of that. But I think it's bringing those things together and connecting those parts uh, that make people aware of the resources that are around them. They're maybe based in the community that are outside of the traditional medical uh, payer landscape and starting to connect that and bring that in. And that's also exciting because I'm starting to read and see and hear more and more 
stories about that. And I think as the industry and as we all learn about what works or what works better, I think we're going to continue just to see that model take more and more hold. And that that's also being pointed out, uh, you know, even where private equity is investing in value-based care. And I think McKinsey came out with some information that talked about the likely growth year over year of value-based care. Because if it's not that direction, where are we going to go? Fee-for-service, if we stay there, that's just not affordable going forward. That's just not going to work. And so that this is the, a shift that we need to make. And like I said, we also have to be aware that it's not everything. You know, there's there's other things we've got to do and there's no silver bullet perfect solution there, but it sure does seem like it's the best direction to head in. I would agree. If we stay in the fee-for-service model, we'll never get to the whole person. That's right. Never, right? And, that, and that's really the key. If we're going to transition uh, the model to be the having the consumer be more empowered and be able to uh, make uh, decisions. Uh, we we def we have to get out of that fee for service. And and I am and, and so everybody in the market is frustrated, right? Or in the context of there's really low penetration in this model. But I still come back to my earlier point. I I think that there's a lot of interest in doing it. I just think that they need to have a pathway and some experiences of their own that says, hey. Wow, I'm doing this and I'm realizing that my patients are more compliant with their medication. And I realize that they're staying out of the emergency room and I realize they're not being admitted as much. Right. Yes. And they're and they're starting to die. So just a little step can create a whole new vision because you can see a whole new world uh, in, in that in that in that sphere. Right. So I, I think that we there's uh, there's the right tool sets in place. We just need to get a, the constituents, the stakeholders uh, to help implement that. Uh, and I think that the best person or the best entities to actually embrace this is not the providers themselves. It's actually the payer. Yeah. And, and so and I'll use the example. I'm from New Jersey, central Jersey. I can go to New York to get some very good health care. I can go to Philadelphia to get some very good health care. I can go local in Princeton to get a very good health care. I got three different geographies in three different states. And, and the only person that really knows me is my payer. Yeah. And yeah. and so even the idea of sharing that data, it's a tough play. So the payer to me is the new is the new champion. Yeah. Don't leave it to the uh, to the provider, because what we want to do is actually share whatever information you collect. You want to be the distributor of the information so that your provider network understands that whole person wherever that wherever that patient enters your network. Thoughts? That's right. And, you know, I will say this because I've worked primarily on the payer side only for the most of my career for 30 years. We have a unique advantage. You know, the term comes out a lot, pay provider. And again, there's no silver bolt solution today in healthcare, but boy, is there an advantage there to really better connect the dots? I mean, it's even as simple things, if you know, healthcare is local. So what's happening in Oregon is very different than what's happening in New Jersey, uh, as an example. And so having that knowledge on the ground of what's happening, where are there access issues, where's their affordability issues, a focus on value-based care should be a model that just continues to grow and make sense. I also think your point is right on. Payers, I believe, can be the sort of navigator uh, have a lot of the information they need that connected information from the provider side as well. I think 
that this, the challenge there is going to be you got to make those direct connections and partnerships. I can tell you that the two years I've been now at Providence Health Plan, being part of Providence, I not only have a deeper respect and understanding of what doctors are going through and delivery systems I, in, inside of Providence, but even our partners that are outside of Providence on the delivery system side, a, a much different understanding. So that's, I think, you know, a very important advantage that I know that we're trying to take advantage of. And by advantage, I mean focused on that promise to deliver for our members, our patients, our providers. Yeah. And and I, I'll just add to that, the payer, not try to influence each individual provider because that's a big burn, uh, I, I would, but payers working with IPAs, payers working with ACOs, payers working with MCOs, that's because you have mass, right? The average yeah. IPA has 475 providers, right? So you get them all on the program and you hit a community all at one time, if you will. And that, and that's the, that's the influence as opposed to going to each individual primary care provider. You're not going to be able to do that with all due respect. It's just too big of a burn and, and it's going to take too long of a time to create that influence where the experience across the community is felt. So, so a payer can offer a platform and, and say, Hey, if you want to do telehealth, here it is. You want to do you want to do all these value based. Here's use us. Now that payer that provider might use different payers for sure. We all know that problem. But you know Providence or any any other payer could could help collaborate and be that that champion across the community more so than anything else. Any thoughts on that before I go to the uh, our close? No, no, I think I think you hit it. I think there's just a huge opportunity here, and I also think kind of back to where we started. I think we've really got to define very specifically, get under the hood of what we mean by value-based care, even just if they're just different components of it, because there's also too much high-level dialogue in the industry about like, well, value-based care is not going to work, or that's that's that is the solution. And I think we've just got to kind of step through it. And like I said, I'm very optimistic because it seems like in the past couple years, not only has the dialogue picked up, but there's more recognition of this is where things need to go. If you were asking for regulatory change to influence your your move your movement, what what would you ask for? I would say there's some of this happening today. So I even just uh, you know bodies like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they've come out with bold statements of, hey, we want to see all Medicare Advantage, all Medicare over to value-based care by 2030. So I think whether it's, uh, you know, policy or whether it's just large public entities and even large uh, commercial employers saying, hey, truly for us, quality, affordability, accessibility is important. And then focusing, I think, also on what are those standardized measures that we're all really going to agree to. So, how are we really defining quality? Uh, and you know, there's there's probably too much that we are defining. So, what's that core set that we know that is heading in the right direction for us? And I also think you you can't talk about quality without also talking about the affordability and accessibility side. We sometimes forget about the patient experience measurements and pieces. So I, I would just say more of that. We're seeing these models. I mean, Medicare Advantage takes advantage of survey data, takes advantage of, of quality data, and just applying that more broadly into other segments of, of, the, uh, of the population. 
Very interesting. And maybe we can have another show just on the cost side of the equation because I'm a believer that the copay is half the inhibitor uh, to uh, access the care. But Don uh, Ananucci, uh, President and CEO of Providence Health Plan, I truly appreciate the uh, the conversation. Very enlightening, uh, I know, to me and I'm sure uh, to my listeners. So thank you very much for uh, coming on the program and hopefully we'll see each other soon. Thank you for having me, Tom. That's today's shift. Appreciate the audience taking the time to tune in. If you missed part of today's episode, you can tune back in at the healthcarenowradio.com at the same time, 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern throughout the week. And be sure to check out the program page at thevirtualshift.co. As well, remember to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter at FoleyTom, and follow the show's hashtag, The Virtual Shift. I'm Tom Foley. Until the next shift.